to focus the attention in the present and we use the uh, the rhythm of our feet touching the ground as we as we walk walking meditation and also as we move around the monastery site during the day sitting here in the temple we can use the rhythm of the breathing Many and various different objects can be applied to help center the attention. So the rhythm of the breath is the most accessible, tangible for most people when we're sitting still. Or one can listen to the inner sound, the sound of silence. And the purpose of these various objects of attention is to center to focus the attention here with the present reality. That's the purpose of any kind of concentration exercise, to bring the attention here, this present experience. Now each of us works with the particular habits of mind and the moods of each moment, whether there's a busyness and agitation, whether things are calm and steady, however it happens to be for each of us, but whatever way we find to help center the attention with this present experience, that's what to use. As a retreat period like this progresses, then with considerable amount of time each day for formal practice and it's natural for the attention to settle to be able to focus more consistently completely here in the present as and when we find that the, that attention is grounded the habits of distraction are, are lessened and there's no particular need to focus on a specific object. If we're already at Amravati, we don't have to think about how to get to Amravati. We don't have to set a direction or type in the address into the, the GPS. We're already here. And using a, an object for concentration is just like that, setting a direction. And the direction is the present reality. So, if the attention is already here, then we don't need to set the direction. We've arrived already. So if the attention is well established, well grounded in the present, we can leave the focusing of, a, of the mind on a specific object to one side. There's no need for that. Instead, we can open the attention, open the awareness to the whole field of perception, the field of experience in each moment. Whether it's a sound that we hear, a, a thought in the mind, a memory, a mood, a sensation in the body, something we smell or taste or touch, 
Here it is. In this moment, this is the, the field of experience. The sound of my voice, sensations of the body, the moods of sleepiness or alertness, comfort, discomfort. Here it is. In this moment, it's exactly this way. The development of insight then is to establish the heart in the quality of awakened awareness to embody that quality of knowing. Knowing there's patterns of experience as they arise, take shape, internal, external, a thought or a mood or a memory, a sound, a sensation, a shape, a color. Know them as they arise, as they take shape, as they dissolve. So many of the inner experiences and attitudes are woven together to create the feeling of personhood. I am hearing, I am speaking, I am feeling, I am meditating, I am distracted, I am really bright today. All those I am's. I am this body, this is my body, these are my feelings. A sense of ownership, personhood. Seems so convincing, so solid, so real. We use insight meditation to deconstruct, to work against those habits of identification and clinging, grasping. Like the buildings that are being dismantled. Yeah. A hundred years ago, there was red cedar trees growing in British Columbia. Then they were cut down and milled, turned into planks and timbers, put together into prefabricated walls and roof trusses, put on a ship, sent over here to England put together and turned into St. Margaret's School, Amravati. Then plans develop and the buildings are taken down. The pieces of wood and tile and plaster that are put together, then they come apart. There's no essential absolute building there. Concrete that made up the boiler house is now a pile of concrete. It's not a building anymore. The buildingness comes from the way the mind labels things. Just as when the, the enlightened nun Vajira was challenged by Mara about identification with the, with the body. She said to Tamara, why do you call this a person? It's just like a, like a chariot. It's made up of wheels and the, the axle and the, the platform. The pole that the, the horses are tied to. Take the parts away from each other and there's no essential chariot. 
put them together and you call it chariot. Put these five khandhas together, the body, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, call it a person. But there's no essential person here. It's just an assemblage of parts. Mara had no answer for that. Left her alone. This is the basis of insight meditation, is that same recognition, that there's this assemblage, assemblage of parts, things that we see and hear, remember, think, designations that the mind makes yeah, to label a, a pattern of experience. We call it me hearing, me feeling, me remembering, my life, my body, my thoughts, my opinions. It's just an assemblage of parts, just like these buildings put together, take a certain shape for a certain time, then they dissolve. A lifetime, 80 years, 10 seconds, half a second. Things come together, they have a name, a designation is given and then they dissolve. That's it. There's no thing really there. So in sustaining and establishing this quality of open awareness that knows the, the patterns of personhood arising and passing, that takes a lot of work, it takes a clarity of vision, because the habits of identification and the belief in those designations is so strong. My mind, my thoughts, my feelings, my opinions, my story, my name. So it takes a sustained effort to challenge those, those qualities, to genuinely know that that which knows the person isn't a person. That which knows the personal, this body, these feelings, these thoughts, It knows the person, this quality of awareness, but it's not old or young, tall or short, female or male, doesn't have a nationality or a name. It's the very heart of, of experiencing, of knowing. The very heart of this life, this quality of awakened awareness, this vijjadhatu, but it's, it's not a person, not personal. It knows all those personal qualities arising and passing, but that which knows the person isn't a person. The mind is not a person, it's Dhamma. So to facilitate, support that disentangling, Letting go, non-identification. We use the reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta. Whether we like a sound or don't like a sound, is it changing? Whether a feeling in the body is comfortable or uncomfortable or neutral, is it changing? Something that we smell or taste, 
something that we see. We call it beautiful, delicious, ugly, disgusting. Is it changing? If something is changing, even something delightful, beautiful, can it permanently satisfy? No, because it's in a state of change. And things that we think of as as my mind, my feelings, I the experiencer, I the, the one making a decision, I the owner, challenge that. The teachings on anatta, not self, are the tools where that set of presumptions can be challenged. We can puncture those projections. If there's a me who owns this body, what does that me look like? There's an I who's making a choice. What does that I look like? Where is it? What is that? Turning the attention onto these different kinds of self-creation, the owning self, the being self, the narrative self, the story we say about who and what we are, our career, our name, our story, our gains and losses. Challenge that. Explore that. When that feeling of I and me and mine is investigated, there's no individual entity that's findable. There's a feeling of meanness, mamankara, mindness, ahankara, I amness, whose feelings of I and me and mine arise, but they're just feelings like the weight of the body on the cushion. It's the impression of a sound or a visual form, that's all. They're not a self, they don't belong to a self. And when we apply these reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta, just as we repeat in the morning chanting, looking at the body, rupa, sensations, vedana, perceptions, sanya, mental formations, emotions, ideas, imagination, memory, opinions, the whole field of sankhara, vijnana, discriminative consciousness. The point is not just the application of the, those perspectives, but the purpose of applying the tool is to bring about a certain result. You use a screwdriver to, to put in a screw, or take out a screw. You use a hammer to knock in a nail or pull out a nail. The point of using the hammer or the screwdriver is the result of the work they can do. So the point of applying the reflections of anicca, dukkha, anatta, uncertainty or impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self, is the effect that those reflections bring, the change of heart that comes in that moment when there's a recognition of, oh, that which knows the feeling of I is not I. Oh. 
There's a hearing of a sound, but there isn't any hearer. Oh. There's a feeling of me making a choice, but that meanness, that I who chooses, that's just an impression that arises and passes. Oh. There's a change of heart in that moment, a dawning, a recognition. There's a freeing of the heart. That's the purpose of applying these tools. It's not just the mechanism of repeating the words, anicca, dukkha, anatta, but the effect that they bring, the change of heart that comes when they are applied. That's the point. And notice that, even if it's just a moment, just a finger snap of recognition, notice that. The habits of attachment and identification just loosen for a moment, just for half a second, a few seconds. Oh, oh, look at that. That's different. Let that sink in. Let that be fully known. Let that change of view have its effect. Let that change the landscape of what this is, this life. So rather than me and my life, me and my practice, me and my problems, me and my plans, it's the awake mind knowing the way things are. There's a shift, a change of view, a change of perspective. <laughs>